0: Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Fiery Twitter threads
1: and endless news notifications never capture the full story. That's why Audie Cornish is talking to the people actually living the headlines on CNN's weekly podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. And as you know... Audie was on Keep It recently, and she is fucking fantastic.
2: It was a stellar interview. Uh, Listen to that before you listen to this, because I love this podcast, too. From examining how therapy has taken over the way we talk to each other to finding the line between espionage and modern surveillance, no topic is off limits. New episodes of The Assignment with Audie Cornish drop every Thursday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Aaron Madison III, and here in New York with me is... Louis
2: Vertel. This is the first time we've recorded in studio together since what, 2020? I think so. Really shocking. (laughs) I'm so... I I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is going to really ruin things that we can't record in the same room together. And now I'm back and I'm like, this is alien. What?
1: (laughs) Uh, Your laughs are hitting me in the face. I'm so distracted. (laughs) I can't think straight. It's weird because we have a repeat guest this week, right? Yes. Um, And the last time our guest, Lizzie Kaplan, was on the show, we also did in person with her. Yes. Um, And it's weird. I'm just like, do guests want to come in person again? Actually, we do have a guest coming up, and I won't reveal it to you. That's true. We have two guests. Yes. Yes. Two guests doing it in person in LA. Uh, So we'll figure that one out. But it is very weird. I'm looking at Lewis, but also I'm trying to look at the camera. Because of our camera set up. Anyway.
2: No, it really feels like watching um Howard Stern reruns on E at like <laughs> one in the morning. Like, how do these people do it? They just don't look at the camera? Okay. Uh but you're in New York. You're yes. in New York
1: for the Glad Awards.
2: I sure am. Oh yes. Uh, which was uh over the weekend, I brought my friend Alex from San Francisco, who's uh the wingman extraordinaire. And uh I mean it was fabulous to be there because one, you know, we just have so many friends who are up for stuff. Like everybody involved with Fire Island, and I mean everybody was there. <laughs> The grip was hanging with me. Yeah. The island was there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in
1: Fire Island this weekend, actually, and all of the sand was gone from the beach. No, there's it no pantry at the because the pantry was receiving a Lifetime
2: Achievement Award. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was fabulous to see all those guys. Um, and then uh, the thing I remember most in the Glad Awards, other than losing, which I'll get to in a second, Adina um, Menzel performed. She did Defying Gravity, and mm. then she performed her new song, which I can only describe as Housewives Pop. It's a. <laughs> it's like it, it's like it's like the Yale of Countess Luann music, it's the Juilliard of Countess Luann music. Uh, she was great, and also you underestimate that when you dress her up as a pop star, like she suddenly becomes like Jessie J, like they're sort of the same person when you mm. doll them up the same way. It was very disorienting. Watch out, Jessie. I guess
1: <laughs> it's over for you. <laughs> I guess.
2: Um, yes, I was up for um, a Glad Award for just one of the segments I do on Jimmy Kimmel, and I have to tell you they played the nomination reel, which you know I'm living for as an (laughs) award show fan. Like, here I come in the reel. Every clip before me in this category was like a bracing monologue by a queer person about coming out or, like, uh, talking about trans issues or, you know, uh, drag queens being maligned or whatever, and then me with my fucking stupid Peppermint Patty Velma jokes from Kimmel. I, like, felt almost... I didn't feel embarrassed, but I felt, like, zany. I felt zany in that place. (laughs) Because it was a a heavy ceremony. There was a lot of, you know, necessary uh, political talk. And um, people came prepared. The speeches were just, like, mind-boggling. They were so vulnerable and real. And I'm so thankful to have seen them. That could have been your My Cousin Vinny moment. Right. Yes. (laughs) Wow. I never thought of myself as the Marissa Tomei in this lineup. (laughs) Against these <laughs> radical Vanessa Redgraves and Miranda, Miranda Richardsons.
1: Right. You lost to the problem, which uh, my yeah, friend. Yeah, Jon Stewart, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, I have a couple of friends, Jay Jordan and Lucas Tim, who work on that show. Jay Jordan works on that show. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. Very funny comic. Um, truly. One of, like, what are the last few people who tells jokes? It really, jokes and then references and, yes, things I value. Correct. Yeah. It's not about, Uh, can you
2: believe how weird I am? That's a keep it for another day. Hannah Gatsby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have to bring her up in regards to the new Kylie Minogue single. You'll see.
1: Um, No, it it looked lovely. It was a lot of fun. uh, You know, at least you were there. You know, I was also nominated for a glad award, technically, because of that Marvel comic that I wrote. Do you think Marvel...
2: Invited me? <laughs> I think they kind of flashed. They did a whole section where they just flashed through the categories they weren't going to present. I think that right. was one of them. comic books. Yeah. They're uh-huh. like,
1: we don't give a fuck. Right.
2: right? It's, it's not a reading crowd, okay? We're gay. <laughs> That's a joke. Gays read sometimes.
1: Um, And what else have you done in New York City?
2: Did you take it a show? I'm about to. I'm going to see the uh, Oscar Levant show with uh, Sean Hayes on Wednesday. Mm, okay. Which is exactly my brand. I love like a mid-century... Um, Uh, uh, mordant humor uh, occasional game show panelist type person. He plays him. I hear it's one of the few plays where there's a standing ovation in the middle of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know how he achieves that, but I'm excited to see that. And I'm seeing Jessica Chastain in a doll's house tonight. Mm. Now, she is an actress, if you don't know her. I'm seeing that tomorrow for a matinee. Oh, really? Yeah. I I wish, you know what? I guess I could still sneak in a matinee. I wonder if uh, Jodie Comer's performing. Maybe I would do that
1: on Wednesday. Anyway, I love a matinee. Yeah. I love a matinee. Tonight, I'm seeing The Little Mermaid. Oh, my gosh. So, what are your feelings going into The Little Mermaid? I feel like it looks deranged. Yeah. I feel like it looks everything about it from like the lighting to these weird fish characters. It's just like the whole thing about it is very weird. And then also the fight. Was going on between the lead of Aladdin. Oh, yeah. He deactivated his account because he was like, um, you know, we were It's <laughs> we a were crazy first, tweet. We, we were we were the first Disney film where we actually had repeat audience goers. Uh so we were actually really important, and that got us over the one billion mark. But He's clearly bitter, I mean, because, you know, like, he was Aladdin and hasn't worked since, which, you know, is racism in the industry. Sure. And also, maybe, I don't know, the movie's bad. Aladdin is a very interesting experiment. It's a horrible movie. I mean, I would have stripped Will Smith's, you know, rights to visit the Academy <laughs> because of that. Right. Not because of slapping and Chris Rock. who you want. Yeah, right. When I saw him as that, GD. I... And I watched it on Delta, too. Do you know how bad a movie has to be for me to turn it off on a plane? Wow.
2: I would say that's where you uh, shine, shall we say. Yeah. So, anyway. Really tough. I, I have to say, though, I am I'm surprised not to see almost any of Melissa McCarthy in the advertising. I, I mean, like, one yeah. of the definitive comic actors of our time, and I really don't have a grasp on what she's doing as Ursula yet, other than she is very devoted to the original mov- movie and is obsessed with drag queens and loves Divine. Mm-hmm. So she's the right person to play it, it for a number of reasons. Uh, I, I'd be excited to see it just for that. I
1: feel like she's been in pieces before.
2: Oh, certainly. Yeah. Please. Also, this is somebody who became famous a little bit later, which I always take to mean they have a very lived-in life before.
1: You know? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, what were, well, what were if they weren't constantly booking, what were they doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, our guest today, Lizzie Kaplan, brings up uh, uh, listeners, we'll, we'll see if you can guess which show I bring up uh, with her that was canceled in the 2000s that Zach Galifianakis was in. Yeah. Like he's another actor who, like, was I like, just doing bit parts in the 2000s and then blew up with a hangover? He also had a show on VH1 called Late World with Zach where he did
2: some stand up to the crowd, but he would play the piano and talk to the audience, which is part of his uh, general act. And I really thought he was gonna end up being more of a letterman type mm. celebrity ultimately. He obviously became a very successful comic actor and still is a comic. But um take if you can find old clips of that, I remember there was an episode, maybe the first episode, he took Natalie Ambrulia, who I whom I cherish, mm. on a crane and just interviewed her from the crane. For no reason. Just like like they lifted into the air and spoke there and then went back down.
1: I'm a little obsessed with, you know, like talk shows, daytime talk shows lately. Uh, I feel like it's the whole, maybe the Jerry Springer death, but you know, it's very much like been rewatching, you know, like Ricky Lake, Lisa, oh, you sure. know, these things. So I don't know. I find that fun. I absolutely fucking loved Between Two Friends. Oh, no, no.
2: I mean, like, there are episodes of that show where... It's one of those things where I almost felt guilty being laughing so hard because it does appeal to, I think, a bro demographic primarily. And, of course, I don't want to support them too
1: much. You know, (laughs) straight people don't deserve to feel funny. That's a power they don't need to have. Sometimes we cross over. Right. You know, sometimes the bros like the things that we like. But he
2: really would find a way to dig into a celebrity in an around-the-corner way that Mm. was... Beyond clever, just actually you have to grip the table while you're laughing. It's so yeah. mean and funny.
1: The Obama episode. Alone. Yes, right.
2: Yeah. Right. That was the beginning of the Obama we kind of know now, I think. It's yeah. the sort of pop-culturally aware, mm-hmm. um, kind of deadpan
1: humor that he brings. Natalie Portman, even. You yes, know, Natalie hers. Portman. Will Ferrell, uh, right. Uh, you know, speaking of that Obama, too, um, that's the Obama that I like, though. Yeah. I don't like the one who's, like, releasing songs every year and, like, movies. And it's just really, like, it's. it seems like you're Time magazine. Yeah, okay. Because I'm like, did you watch this shit? I want to know what Obama actually watched.
2: I, well, okay, I feel like he does watch it. Because he strikes me as the kind of person who reads 100 books a year and then mm-hmm. probably has time to watch a million movies, too. Or makes time for it. But there is something... Um, uh, 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 noticeable about the fact that he doesn't say anything about the movies. Yes. He was just like, "Here's fourteen movies, okay." And it's like, "Well, I could, here's the two you're supposed to put in because mm-hmm. you know you want you want the list to have a certain kind of dignity or whatever."
1: But then the weird things he picks—that to me is the most interesting part. That's like me on Letterboxd when I um follow me at Iron the Third. That's me on Letterboxd when I just list a movie and don't put a star rating for it. That usually means I know someone who worked on it. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll keep sucks. that between the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to my friend. Is what the is the comment. Baby, I had to wait until that Patty Lapone interview dropped for me to review Bo is afraid. And let me tell you listeners, I hate that movie. I unfortunately hate it too. You know what the
2: problem with that movie is? One, I mean, it has the feeling I'm gonna compare it to the movie Us of a movie that's telling you a long joke and you're waiting to hear the punchline because mm. like so much is going awry. It's like everything's out of control. You're sort of waiting for it to add up to something, and then the worst part of it is the ending. Yeah. The worst part is the Richard Kine scene, and of course we love him. Yeah. But there's no way Patty Lapone watched
1: that movie and thought, Oh, this is my best work. Come on now. Yeah. Um The only iconic thing about that movie was Nathan Lane. Well, yes, he's fucking great. Yes. But also, uh, was Parker though. Posey. Oh, Parker Posey. And yes. the um, Mariah Carey scene. <laughs> yes, the movie when the movie is was funny, <laughs> loved it. But
2: then it was like, actually, no, it's not a funny movie. We're doing serious things. Okay, now fold your
1: arms and watch the movie. I'm like, girl, it's three hours long. It Get also, back to the funny. It also started very tense and horrific yes. and funny. And I was like, okay, I was strapping myself in for, you know, a ride. I love Ari Aster. Yeah. You know, like I love I love yeah, Hereditary, Hereditary obviously, and I I did not realize there's a contingent of people who don't like midsummer.
2: Oh, uh my brother is one of them.
1: It's come yeah. up before. Yeah. All right. Well, I think your brother needs to come on here. Yeah, say it to our face. <laughs> uh, but I fucking love that movie. And maybe it's because that that those two um are also pandemic movies for me. Uh-huh. I had never. I went through like my whole like eight twenty four like horror movie thing during the pandemic because I had never really watched them. I watched like The Witch. Sure. I watched Hereditary. I watched Midsommar. But I watched them all within the same span of three days. Mm. So like it was just fun. Yeah, I loved it. A clump of weird. Yes. Yeah, and I like Midsommar because it's like I think what's scary about that too is it's daytime.
2: Yes. No, which is one of my favorite things in horror movies. I I think my favorite setting in a horror movie ever is just the midday parts of the original Halloween when -hmm. she's, like, walking home from school and, like, oh, God, is there something behind the hedge? Because, you know, in the middle of a suburb, there's no noise. So there is, like, this weird, unexpected horror quality. Also just reminds me of growing up and being afraid of literally everything. I was one of those kids.
1: I mean, Halloween, when Michael Myers is, like, behind the laundry. Yes. Um, behind like the laundry yeah, line, hanging, yeah. Watching her even the original scream, you know, where it feels like they're being stalked even when they're just like at the store. Which I do think day. is one of the worst parts of the movie. Like, girl, why is he by the popsicles? <laughs> <laughs> In costume, it's two thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a murder recently. Now I watch that and I'm like, with the mythology, I'm like, is that supposed to be Roman Bridger? Right. Oh, God. I love them.
2: I just saw 3 and 4 for the first time in years with my friend Elise, yeah. who's uh, obsessed with horror. Um, and I, th- I think the worst thing about 3 is where it ends up. The mansion where they're, like, pulling a candlestick to go down a secret passage. Girlfriend. <laughs> 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, <laughs> motherfucker.
1: Yeah. 13 Ghosts, the worst one.
2: Yeah, oh, certainly. And we put Vincent Price on there because he, in the 80s, was bored. Yeah.
1: 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, where the where they were like, um, mm, you know who we're going to get rid of? Um, the, the dyke and that faggot with the ass Kai. Yes, right. Oh, like, yeah, it was it just was Daphne? Daphne and Scooby and Shaggy.
2: They were like, what if the gang wasn't all back together? <laughs> Interesting question for nobody. <laughs> Let's do this episode. What's happening?
1: All right, we've got Lizzie Kaplan here to we talk do. about being in Fatal Attraction on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, and then also, this little... Um, Song contest happened, yeah, um, this little this little known song contest called Eurovision, yeah, it takes up one of the smaller continents <laughs> and then speaking of eurovision, um a lot of our foreign pop divas have music, you know, Kylie's back, yes, um, Jesse Ware is back, of course, and we will find out if you actually like this album. I have listened to it, <laughs> we'll see and. BB Rexa, And we all know She is one of my favorites Of the Kosovo 3 <laughs> And go go ahead Name all three Rita Ora Yes Dua Lipa Right Wow You would put BB Rex Over Dua Lipa I said one of my favorites Oh okay wow Sorry not my Sorry. favorite Bold stance yes, yes One of my favorites <laughs> uh, We know Rita's number one Yes Alright well Alright so just
2: Okay I'm doing the math on this And you didn't say anything Go ahead <laughs> And that's
1: how we like to keep it Here on Keep It <laughs> We'll be right back The Crooked Store just released a new twist on our classic Call Congress merch. Louis, you can announce that you're in your calling Congress era with new tees, tanks, mugs, and mouse pads. Okay, great. I'm stuck in my angry scrolling era, so this is my sign to pick something up that'll remind me to take action. Plus, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase go to Vote Save America's No Off Years Fund to support the work of
2: organizers across the country. Head to crooked.com slash store to check it out and
1: charge your phone. If you were looking for all the glam, elegance and music that the Coronation did not deliver, then you were probably watching Aura Vision this weekend. Yes. That's right. Rita AuraVision, Vision, as she named it because she opened up the ceremony uh earlier in the week and let me tell you something about Rita Aura at Eurovision. It was kind of great. Her fu- her performance of Praise You, um the her, you know, like new version of Fatboy Slim song which I think it's good because it's not just some DJ remixing the Fatboy Slim song. Like, he did it himself. Yeah. So I think that this is sort of like, oh, I'm making a newer version of it. Um, and I think it's a really good song. And I loved her performance, and she was doing her best Beyonce at the Super Bowl cosplay.
2: No, it it, like if if you were just like (laughs) glancing out of the corner of your eye, you'd be like, oh, we're back at the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. Um, She even did the laying on the ground thing that Beyonce did at the Super Bowl when she lays on like the glowing stage. I was like, girl, you grabbed her wet shake and go wig (laughs) uh, from Parkwood and slapped it on. You know what I have to say about that song also is that You know what's always a good
2: idea? Remaking a song where the original vocal is not meant to sound that good. Mm. Case in point, when Mario did the Just a Friend remake, Mm. um, did you know that it sounds way better when someone can sing really well? Okay. (laughs) No shade to the late Bismarcky, but...
1: (laughs) You... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? You might have that impression in You... The premier Bismarcky impersonator. Uh, he really does. Part part of his vocal in that song is like the old woman who swallowed a fly. Like, ooh, yeah. look up the Muppets on that one. Uh, that's also. It also makes me like that song a bit more. I was ever a big praise you fan. Me neither. It was everywhere. It was in 1999, which is, of course, one of the
2: great pop years and the great. Uh. VMAs that year mm-hmm. so I think of it as part of this halcyon pop period but yeah uh, it, and the video was really good but mm-hmm. it's just it's one of those songs like what would I compare it to I like this song a little bit better but Dirty Vegas Days go by where it's mm-hmm. just oh
1: you need to put a, a a silly moody song in the back of your Hyundai commercial or whatever I would say that I like Right Here Right Now as my favorite Fat Boy Slim song uh-huh. uh, and then maybe Weapon of Choice of
2: course after. that video
1: is when I saw that video the
2: first time and I knew what it was doing. And Christopher Walken's just jumping all over the place in a sort of crouching tiger, hidden dragon way. You, it's just like, God, they nailed it. It's like an unforgettable video of that time.
1: Yeah, Moby, but good. Right.
2: <laughs> you know what Moby song I do like? Uh, we Are All Made of Stars. With that video with the like 18 celebrities. I think Ron Jeremy's one mm. of them. He just got like all these like surreal life type celebrities in a video.
1: My favorite Moby moment is the weird beef with Eminem where Eminem had like someone playing Moby sucking his own dick in his video. Right. Yeah. And then Moby
2: actually stormed out of the VMAs and you saw, and, and the, the storming he did looked like a
1: character actor playing Moby. <laughs> I was like, is that really him? <laughs> the last time I saw Moby, he was DJing at the Abbey. Are the Abbey? Are the Abbey um, for a Hillary Clinton fundraiser uh, hosted by Jon Favreau of Crooked Media. Well, I'm I th- that's both amazing and I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. <laughs> uh anyway, Eurovision yeah. 2023 happened. I managed to tune in um while I was in Fire Island mm-hmm. and let me tell you, Loreen Tattoo pretty good bop. Pretty good. I do think that song this
2: is the one that won Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Sweden now tied with Ireland for most wins, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um and she herself, Lorraine, has won Twice. before representing. Yes, um,
1: I do like it. I do think it has the feeling of a song that has won Eurovision before. Well, let me tell you something. I heard "Tattoo" and I said, "When is um, Abba going to see her in court?" Because that song is literally <laughs> the winner takes it all.
2: Also, by the way, if you know anything about that hologram show, you know they show a hologram of all the Abba uh, members now because they're still alive. So watch her back, Lorraine. <laughs> Anna Freed is ready to fight.
1: <laughs> um, my friend Chris Aragon and Chris Leiker, they're both there. And they just saw Abba. Um, and Aragon was texting my group thread about seeing Abba at a hologram show. And everyone else who didn't know about it was very confused. They were like, and Abba, hologram, are they dead? No. They aren't. They, they just don't want Yeah, they just don't want a tour.
2: They're like we would love to make a billion dollars, but
1: We're lazy. we have to tend to our garden. <laughs> so what if we figured out a way to not be there? Um yeah, the song is good, but it wasn't even my favorite of the ceremony. No,
2: I have to say the finish song, which I thought was going to take the whole thing mm-hmm. and ended up falling into second, that was really good. I love I I mean like I guess this Israel is some, was great. I loved Israel too. Yeah. I I generally speaking, I like when a Eurovision contestant goes for broke in terms of either silliness or at least personality. Because a problem with Eurovision that I think maybe alienates a, a lot of American listeners—not that I care what they would think, generally speaking—is that this, there tends to be a sameness. Like there's like they're all an anthemic in the same way, or like, yeah. the, the, like the, the the song like becomes emotional in the same way. And so that song, which is pure adrenalized bubblegum pop really spoke to me, and I also fucking loved Austria's song, which Mm. is called uh, Who the Hell is Edgar, and it's a song about how the pop star is possessed by the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe, Mm. and how, uh, uh, anyway, the lyrics are just like whiz-bang and hilarious, and I just love a literary reference, unexpected.
1: Mm. Who the Hell is Edgar is famously what everyone said when they read The Cask of Amontadillo for the first time. Amontillado? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> a cask of Armadillo? Montadello? Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't pronounce words. Uh I would also say that, yeah, a lot of the Eurovision songs tend to sound like maybe like winning American Idol songs. Yes, or or the single that doesn't do as well. Yeah.
2: I'm talking about Before Your Love by Kelly Clarkson. You know what I'm saying? Yes. No shade to the writer, Kathy Dennis, who also gave us. <laughs> Uh, toxic and can't get you out of my head.
1: Yeah, but like I don't know. Remember, also like this is my now. Yeah, every song at Eurovision is this is my now. Yeah, every song. Maybe Diane Warren needs to hop on over to Eurovision. Right, almost everything
2: Diane Warren writes, the sentiments are at least the same as what competes at Eurovision. Yeah, if but you're better. Yes. By the way, I just want to say that on Jeopardy Masters recently, there was a whole category about Diane Warren, and the fi- and the two thousand dollar clue was talking about this uh, Robert Redford, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer movie I wrote a song for, and none of these Jeopardy masters could identify up
1: close and personal. Wow. Yeah. Where is the education? <laughs> Our schools are failing us. Uh, that's what I feel. I thought we're yes. setting no child left behind.
2: <laughs> um, now, we have to talk about the, I was going to say host of the ceremony, but it would be more accurate to say ringmaster because uh, this woman is off the chain, Hannah Waddingham.
1: <laughs> she and um, Graham Norton were clearly drug. I mean, they were, they, they were clearly. <laughs> and having the best time, I mean, speaking of like American Idol, you know, like if you don't watch Eurovision or you're not familiar with it, you do remember American Idol though, where like Ryan Seacrest and back when he even had Brian Dunkelman with him, right? It would be the most ridiculous stalling tactics or like pushing to commercial, you know, like... Right. And will tell you who's in the top three right after these commercials. Right. Now imagine American Idol without commercials and yet they're still doing this. Yes. Every time they'd be like, Hannah Waddington was like grabbing the podium being like, when you find out who the top two is, it's going to be crazy. Just freezing, yeah. Constantly reminding you. And there are only eight countries left. And one of them is going to become the winner. I'm like, girl, can we wrap it up? The ceremony could have been 30 minutes.
2: No, I mean, they make an entire um, ceremony out of the math they have to do to figure (laughs) out who wins. Like, you're watching the numbers change on the screen and certain people who are in second are falling to fifth and people are rising through the ranks and, it is a little addictive to watch something so monotonous in the same way that it's addictive to watch those YouTube videos mm. where you watch all the the charting singles of a celebrity yeah. and it's literally a moving bar graph or line graph those are fun where you see like oh uh baby one more time up to number 1 now it's falling 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 here comes sometimes and you watch all a celebrity's uh uh pop singles uh and and their uh, charting run it's a lo- it's really fun really addictive and so stupid you will come out remembering nothing but <laughs> yeah Hannah Wantingham, she is basically what happens when you trap somebody in the West End for 20 years. I mean, <laughs> the, the, I mean, like uh, my most overused word, zany. No one is zanier. And I don't feel like we have any zany celebrities anymore. And she just loves to pop off with a huge smile, a huge laugh. Mm-hmm. I was reminded that she judged uh, Drag Race UK. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody put together a supercut of her best moments on it. And she's just giving devious looks at drag queens as they walk by, sort of sensing a colleague, I believe. <laughs> really cool to see. And also, just I just want to say also, when she won that Emmy for Ted Lasso, that speech is simply delirious. I have never seen anything like that it. at the Emmys. It's I one of the it. great
1: speeches. Yeah, I, I, I truly do love her. Uh, I can't wait to see what she does post Ted Lasso. Yes. Um, and... Graham Norton was there, too, and I would actually say that I feel like we have a lot of zany celebrities, but the sort of, like, U.S. media landscape doesn't allow that to come out. Because I'm always shocked when I see a celebrity who is so fucking funny when they go on the Graham Norton show. Oh, And maybe it's because they're interacting with, like, other British celebrities who are, you know, like, taking the piss out or whatever, you know, like, they don't give a fuck about, you know appearances or whatever, right. and they're just all just, like, having a good time. You know, I was like, um... Nikki Minaj was great on that show, but she's zany and
2: crazy right. anyway. No, no, she's in uh, the league of her own, obviously. Uh, no, I have a real problem that we... The closest thing we have to Graham Norton would be Andy Cohen's show, because mm-hmm. he will at least put a couple of people together that you yes. might not norm- normally see together, and they get to share some moments. But even on that show, you can sense the guests typically like, um... Shying away from some of his, like, uh, more sensational questions. You know, whereas on the Graham Norton show, everybody is going for a laugh. Like, Judy Dench just, like, Mm -hmm. lets it all hang out. And when... I'm sorry, when is she here, first of all? But second... It's just, like, you get to see everybody having so much fun when you watch the Ocean's 8 cast um, interview together. And uh, uh, Helena Bonham Carter goes, well, you know, I've never been asked to the Met Gala. And then Rihanna, not even thinking twice, goes... Uh, It's because you wear that dress.
3: (laughs) Jesus Christ.
2: (laughs) I I mean, I say this with affection to my job you're not going to get that
1: in Jimmy Kimmel. You know what I mean? (laughs) We need to bring, we need to get some sort of Graham Norton esque show. In the US. He just rules. I yeah. love him. I yeah. love the energy he brings towards interviewing. I find that very, like, life-affirming. I think, yeah. And it needs to be a gay man. Also, the Watch What Happens Live differences, you know, like, not everybody knows about, like, Housewives. You right. know? like is C- Correct. Celebrities correct. Yeah, you that know? show is yeah. always going to be more niche than it probably even wants to be. But it is really fun when, like, you know, a celebrity is on who— And we know, like, Jennifer Lawrence has famously loved, like, Bravo and Housewives. But, like, when you get another celebrity on who— you, for me at least like when you don't know that they had watched it and they actually are obsessed with it yes. that's really fun
2: yeah that reveals something about them too because yeah. other, like why in an interview would you ask them about some show they watched you know what i mean so yeah. it's nice that they have a kind of a conduit toward that in there
1: yeah um, speaking of i'm i'm guest hosting for andy next week on Sirius
2: XM oh really yeah are you going to do a, an offensive impression of him mm. i actually dressed up as andy cohen once my Did you? Fr- my friends in sf had a uh uh, a Housewives-themed party, and I don't know anything about the Housewives, so I just went as Andy Cohen, and it was brilliant, because then I got to be in pictures with everybody holding my little cards.
1: <laughs> and that's really what you love anyway, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. I walked, I like sprayed paint in my hair, it was cool. Being pictures, being in pictures with little cards. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I would describe Lewis.
2: I'm like Wink Martindale, you know what I mean? <laughs> Throwing the break and asking you trivia.
1: Um. Anyway, I guess that's your vision.
2: I mean, it, it really was so much fun to watch. I just love the, the weirdness of the ceremony. I even, it, Like the Oscars, I love how long it is. Mm. So uh, I like that it's gaining some steam here. And it's, uh, you know, g- getting people like Rita Ora involved. Madonna performed once. It is one of her all-time worst performances,
1: if you want to look that up. Ooh, the song <laughs> Dark Ballet. Ooh. Oh, it's like you punched me in the stomach. Um, it's also so much fun watching people, like, from different countries you know, having their countries cheering on for yes. them, but then also waiting to hear the results—it's uh, stressful. Yes, and they're yeah. all sitting
2: at tables that look like generic bottle
1: service at <laughs> you guessed at <it>, the Abbey. <laughs> and then when Lorene wins, and she has to do this long ass walk up to the stage, walking through backstage, it was like I don't know—it's um, like she was a writer at an award ceremony. Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> no, by the way, if I had won at the Glad Awards, you would—the FloJo shit—I would have had to do to
2: get to that stage. <laughs> Dancing through people, jumping over Adina Menzel. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm not saying that the GLOD Awards already know who's gonna win. Yeah. But most of the award shows that I've written for have been um queer LGBTQ awards. Yes. And I have written speeches for Winners.
2: Oh yeah, no, I do seem to notice they were going right to the teleprompter with some of those wins. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to make any uh, rash suggestions, but
1: <laughs> and just like American Idol, once Lorreen finally gets up there, they're like, now we're gonna let you go and get ready to perform your song one more time. Yeah,
2: you better be weeping as yeah. you sing this
1: hard to sing yeah. song. Which reminds me, lastly, of just the the cruelest thing that we used to do in America in the two thousands. You know, I mean. Sure, um, Guantanamo was back. Okay. But um, <laughs> you sound like a real historian right now. Let me tell you kicking someone off American Idol and then making them oh, yeah. sing the song right. that they got kicked off the show with again is a special kind of torture. Right.
2: It, it, <sighs> routinely, they would be singing the last thing they sung. Yes. So it could be something specifically
1: like Disco the, Night the, where yeah. you went out and then it's like, Come on, sing, turn the beat around again. <laughs> You're going oh. with te- tears in your eyes. I bet Simon <laughs> Cowell thought of that himself. Uh, all right, when we're back, we are joined by the fantastic Lizzie Kaplan making her second appearance on Keep It.
0: How about Captain Crunch's crunch berries with breakfast?
3: Whoa, Dad, we're on.
0: Crunch Island. <gasps> He's Jean foot! <Lefout. laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last crunch berry. No. <laughs> no one steals my crunch berries.
4: I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch.
0: The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid
5: for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's
0: committee. Guys, it's been a rough year
1: You know we have an icons-only policy when it comes to Book and Keep It, and today is no different. You know her from all of your favorite shows, Party Down, Masters of Sex, and Fleischman is in Trouble, and now you can catch her in the thrilling and seductive Fatal Attraction, where she will not be ignored. Please welcome back to Keep It, the incredible Lizzie Kaplan.
4: Hi.
2: Hi. Hello. Hi. Lizzie Kaplan, this is your second time taking over for a Best Actress nominated role in recent years. You were Annie Wilkes on Castle Rock, which is why you were here the last time you were here. And now That's true. you're jumping into uh, Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction and, we, and you're not playing it the same way as her at all. So it's crazy to even really compare the performances that said. Talk about the intimidation level. I mean, do you think like, oh God, like did you did you worry about even like the shape of your hair going into this performance?
4: <laughs> Funny that you mentioned that. I one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to have a perm, not quite Glenn's <laughs> level of perm, yeah. yes. but like an achievement.
2: Little, yes, yes,
4: quite an achievement. I mean, I I dig it. Uh, but yes, I wanted like a little nod, so I got a perm for the first time. In my life and then i got covid two days after and then at the end of covid my hair was straight again it was really hmm. weird <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: uh well Luckily enough, they permed Joshua Jackson, clearly, in the series, because his hair in those original flashbacks Uh, (laughs) was wild. They
4: gave him Michael Douglas. Yes, Michael Douglas. (laughs) I'm just saying there's no such thing.
2: You can't have an erotic thriller unless at least one character has Gavin Newsom hair. There has to be a (laughs) slick back quality.
4: Yes, those were definitely the boys we were raised on, the men we were raised on in the erotic thriller sphere. But yes, the intimidation factor was obviously very high. Uh, The assignment felt a bit different than Castle Rock because that one, I really did want it to feel in line with what Kathy Bates did. But then the Fatal Attraction, you're right. It's so different. It's set in a different place. It's set at a different time that it didn't make as much sense to fully... Steal as much as I could from what Glenn so impeccably did.
1: Mm. Now, were you a fan of like the film before? Did you have to like rewatch it? Did, did would you rewatch it? Maybe were you like, wow, I forgot this even happened in this film.
4: I had <sighs> rewatched it maybe a couple years before, just mm-hmm. coincidentally. I love the film. I yeah. love, love the film. Um, I think it really holds up in kind of a shocking amount of ways, considering how dated it also feels in other ways. But yes, I'm a huge fan of the film. I rewatched it after reading the pilot script for the show. And uh, I was reminded again how great, and I, I just, I love it. I love it. I think it's scary and sexy and all of the things that you want it to be. And then I, for Castle Rock, I watched it constant. I watched Misery constantly mm-hmm. and for Fatal Attraction. I would just kind of dip back in every once in a while. Um but again because it felt like it was its own thing I kind of I kind of left it but there were certain parts of it that I just wanted to remind myself of
3: mm-hmm. regularly.
2: It, it feels like in general there's just a renaissance about erotic thrillers like people are discussing them more they're more nostalgic for them and why do you think that is was it what is it about this genre that people really want to revisit or that they miss?
4: Yeah, I think culturally we've really moved away from that. It was such a thing in the 80s and the 90s. And I don't think we're fully back there. I think we could use more of it. It's this weird time where everything feels at once like kind of hyper sexualized, but not particularly erotic. It's Mm -hmm. it's weird. I've, I've kind of touched on this before, but it's like this from a very young age now people are like sexualizing their own image uh especially like young girls on social media and yet it feels so removed and every study is like oh kids teenagers aren't having sex the same way that you know we were when we were kids they don't like smoke cigarettes and have sex like <laughs> what are they doing with their time <laughs> and now i think that's like they're trying to kind of pull it back in that direction but we have a ways to go you know these things they're cyclical um and I guess you know the, the argument in the 80s was the erotic thriller was trying to paint the career woman or the the unmarried childless woman as this dangerous femme fatale and culturally we're very far away from that which i think is a positive thing but it's also I don't know it's weird it's like at once like a hypersexualized imagery time but it feels also really puritanical um like we're not seeing as much of this type of content on tv like or in in films and i don't know i i growing up i think it was like this seminal thing for every kid to like find yourself accidentally watching a movie that had some insane sex scene while you're sat on the couch next to your parents and
3: yes. that just isn't happening.
4: Yeah, that you much.
2: should be traumatized watching mickey rourke with your parents
4: right Standard. exactly we all yes. went through it it's, it's really it's really true like there should be a word for that the specific deep in your bones embarrassment that only comes from <laughs> that scenario
1: now girl mine was um diane lane unfaithful Oh sure. with, yes. my, with my grandmother another
2: adrian line joint with yes. my
1: grandmother high school just putting this on because we love Ooh. these kind of thrillers
4: oh yeah i love when we, that one when we
1: got to that sex scene in the hallway i was like what? i need to leave the room
4: <laughs> <laughs> i know i know those sex scenes were i mean yeah very in line with with the fatal attraction ones just like they went there they used to go there
1: yeah it's interesting that you even bring up you know the sort of um move towards almost, I don't know, like the puritanical, um, with like these sort of characters and these sort of movies not being there anymore. Because I you know, I think about um this, I think about misery, you know, like classic horror movies, right? You know, and even the horror genre itself was very much, you know, you watch Friday the thirteenth, you look at the rules that they state in like the early scream. It's about like if you're having sex, you die. Like you're drinking, you die. You like cigarettes, you die, you know? And it's like, well the teens aren't doing that anymore. What are they being killed for in the horror movies? You know, and if we have so many reboots, which sort of, you know, are able to go into that realm. But you know, yeah. you do have to ask the question: like, if they're not being bad, why are we killing?
4: Them? I know they're being <laughs> bad in such a foreign way. Like, I, don't, I don't like playing too many video games. Like, I guess that then that kid dies in the new version of the horror. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Even Mean Girls, I would say, seems a bit more risque than, yeah. you know, like a Netflix teen movie we might get now.
4: Totally, totally. And that always boggles my mind that Mean Girls is something that still people talk to me about all the time. And it seems <laughs> to be this like rite of passage for every, you know, 11, 12 year old girl to watch it for the first time. And I'm always always so curious about that. Like, that version of high school doesn't mirror the current modern high school experience at all. So the fact that people still get so much out of that movie, I guess it was just a really well-written movie. (laughs) Well, also, it's
2: just, it feels to me like people don't even remember that many movies from the 2000s anymore. Like, it really feels like it always comes down to Mean Girls, maybe Eternal Sunshine, like The Notebook kind of comes up. But it is strange, like, I like the 90s I just feel like there's tons and tons of what the, there's name recognition etc and I still am trying to figure out what it is about Mean Girls not that I don't love the movie and I of course have seen it 75,000 times still holds up and is super relevant like do you have a yeah. what, what do you think is the most relevant thing about the movie
4: I think it's core universal truth is that girls can be horrible to each other will live on forever
1: yeah yeah.
4: Unfortunately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. I mean, you know, I went to an all-boys high school, you know, but like the eighties movies and stuff, which didn't mirror my school, you know, I felt like rich boys stay the same, you know? The <laughs> so, preps. Yeah, they stay the same. Um Yeah,
4: I'm in uh, London right now and the I was just with a woman who's Scottish and she was talking about how she would beg her mom when she was younger to move to America because she wanted to be a cheerleader and they just don't have the same high school setup uh, here at all. And yet they're fed this steady diet of American teen content. And so they do have, like, I didn't go to a high school that had like popular cheerleaders and football players, but I completely understand that trope.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like this at this point. You now have a very diverse background in both drama and comedy, and a lot of the comedy you do, I feel like, is not in line with the personality you are delivering right now. There is like a kind of casual, just drollness about your characters, generally speaking. <laughs> What's the funniest you've ever felt in a movie?
4: Oh God, I have no. Honestly, I mean, I it wasn't a movie, but I, I, I suppose, comedically, I am the most proud of "Party Down," mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. I got to. Feed off the genius comedy that was surrounding me. Um, because they're all incredible comedic actors and actresses. So I, I think I'd say that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is truly still one of my favorite television shows me ever. Too. So you, you know, watch the reboot? I haven't gotten to watch it yet. And you didn't get to go it's back so to good. it because you were doing it's so you know. good.
4: It will not disappoint you. Okay. It's like, oh, it's so, it's so. Chef's kiss.
1: Oh well, that's that's it's a nice thing though that you got to watch it at least, you know, like yeah. so I feel like you were back with the cast, but not really being with them.
4: I know, but you know, fingers crossed that there's going to be an additional season, and then know so that everything falls well that ends. well.
1: <laughs> uh, I want to ask you a bit about Fleischman is in trouble too, which you know, I um I recently interviewed Adam Brody about that, um and you know I love. Taffy and her work and um you know what was it like you know you were in this and you're also narrating so you know um was this a fun sort of like dramatic experience for you as well
4: definitely definitely it was defi- definitely in the group of like unforgettable jobs uh partly because i'm i'm just so proud of how it turned out uh i think taffy is such a ridiculous talent and uh, everybody in that show is so incredible and it doesn't always happen you know you have you really have very little control when you're just an actor on a thing uh, you know if you you don't know you could cut it into anything um and whatever you think you're doing on set on the day, could have you could feel like none of that when you're watching the finished product and Fleischmann felt very in line with what we were making as well as the reception that it's gotten it's just been received in the spirit that it was intended which just doesn't happen very often I'm I'm just I'm still kind of pinching myself over that one I I love Fleischman Beyond.
2: Such a great cast. Also, by the way, it just is like a, a a simple concept that I haven't really seen done on television before. I it always kills me when something simple hasn't been done before. Like, well, what have we been doing with all this TV beforehand? Um, uh-huh. but, uh huh. <laughs> but this is a minor spoiler. But the perspectives on that show change, and you end up figuring out where everybody else is coming from. What is it that you think is the most kind of salient takeaway from Fleischman is in trouble? Because I think, first of all, by the way, it just attacks modern day relationships in a way that I don't know that I've seen. Uh, previously. It just felt like this belongs in this year. I should be seeing this right
4: now. Totally. And I I really feel like it, it was reminiscent of so much stuff that I remember watching when I was younger. I remember watching so much stuff about adults talking about adult things. And then that has just kind of disappeared from the landscape. And I think there's a place for it. We're all this age. We want to see stories that are about people our age thinking about the things that we're thinking about. And so it had this, it felt almost revelatory, but I think it actually just reminded me of some bygone era and the amount of conversations I've had with friends and like people from my deep past who came out of the woodwork to, to talk to me about it. Cause I think it really hit a nerve with a lot of people. And if you happen to know somebody in it, then you want to talk to that person like about that, nerve that was hit. So I got like, uh, I mean, numerous emails and texts and calls. And so I have talked about it with people at length and it does feel like there's something in there for everybody that's this age. Um, and I, I'm always pleasantly surprised to hear like which, like between which rib that we stuck the knife because it's different Everybody like some people who've had uh, you know a traumatic birth story. Um, they really, really identify with the Rachel Fleischman character with, with Claire Danes, or you know somebody who has really focused on her career over her family and all of the guilt and shame that's placed on women who make that choice, which is still a viable choice for men. Uh, and then the Libby, my character her breakdown is not as uh like the volume's not turned up as high uh but it's something that so many people that i know are going through and feeling like how am i this age i swear i went to sleep and i was like 29 and then i woke up and i'm in my 40s and i'm in this life and it's a life that i've arrived at based on all of the choices and decisions that i've made and I stand behind those choices and decisions but why do I feel so stuck in this moment in in my life and it's really fuck people up in a great way
1: (laughs) um I want to do a little sliding doors question with you for a minute because I you know was looking at you know so much of your you know filmography and things that you've been on and obviously you know a lot of them were like series of the 2000s that maybe did not continue. Or, you know, you guessed it in for a bit. Is there something from this era that you sort of like remember fondly and you were like, man, I wish this show actually had been on for like six years or something. Because I really did like this goofy show, True Calling. Ah. <laughs> Mostly because I loved Eliza D's I've heard
4: that one before.
1: I loved Elijah Dusku for Buffy, obviously. And so I watched every episode of that. And then once Jason Priestley joined too.
4: Oh yeah. And like, (laughs) it's crazy that Zach Galifianakis was like the the nerdy mortuary guy. (laughs) Like before anybody knew that he was like such a hilarious comedian. Yeah, I do. I remember very little from that time. I remember working with Eric Christian Olsen and Zach a bit but yeah i that's true calling is not one that i would pick necessarily of that course. i wish for
3: <laughs>
4: but i was you know i was only in one season i was like a guest star mm-hmm. uh i don't know i feel i guess lucky that looking back at things even if they were very it was very devastating at the time when they were canceled or ended uh feeling like, no, I can't imagine a life that doesn't include this over many years. But in retrospect, it always kind of happened the way that -hmm. it was supposed to happen. Uh, I did this show called The Class Mm. that was like poised to become this massive deal. And it certainly did not even become a little bit of a deal like most people (laughs) haven't even heard of it. But it was one of those casts that... I mean, similar to Party Down or Fleischman, where everybody was just like so bonded, and it was so fun every single day. And the idea of doing that for like ten years—I'm sure we would have had a good time. But I, mean, I don't Jason know. Ritter, I, I mean,
1: Jesse Jason Tyler Ritter, Jason Tyler
4: Ferguson, John Bernthal, yeah. and Andrea Anders—like it, it was a cast of heavy hitters—and we all still talk to each other but that was just one of those special ones that it felt like if if something was gonna become as big a deal as they kind of promised us it (laughs) it felt like a very safe group of people to go through that with because it's actually like kind of a traumatic experience I think to be on something that changes your life completely and so I think that doing it with them would have it would have felt safer, but you know, again, happens the way it's supposed to happen.
2: Um, again, uh, you you have such a specific, um, cool uh, adult was a word you just used in describing a certain type of conversation in movies, sense of humor, and I'm wondering, do you often, when you're reading a script, feel like, oh, this person gets me completely, like, like do you? I, I just feel like you have such a specific type of humor that it would be fun as a writer to write to it. Um, and write to a type of person like you, even if I didn't know the project was going to go to you. When have you seen yourself on the page most?
4: I mean, Fleischman most recently, uh and again, probably party down, mm-hmm. but yeah, I remember people telling me like in periods of time where I felt like I couldn't get a job that there were things written as a Lizzie Kaplan type, but it like never came to me. So, yeah. It's rare when that happens. And I think one of the great things about an ongoing television series, uh, I haven't done one of those in many, many years, but they start to write more to your strengths. And that's always really lovely when that like symbiosis happens.
2: I admit I did want you to say Bachelorette a little bit, but uh, uh, what I find to be one of the most underrated comedies of that decade.
4: Agreed. I love Bachelorette, and I will say at that particular point in my life, yes, maybe it's uh, cleaved closely to the bone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you're doing Fatal Attraction now, um, and, you know, you've done so much different you know sort of like comedy stuff you know like what do you feel like you want to maybe conquer next like is there some sort of project that you're like no one sent me this you know or um you know what what are you hoping to do in the future
4: i mean i i think i would like to be surprised by what that is like it it will feel like oh man i never thought that that would be something that i'd want to do i mean my My M.O. has always been as varied as possible, um, skipping between genres for as long as they'll let me do it. And right now, just like television in particular, it's just so elevated and everybody is firing on all cylinders in that arena that when you can find something that kind of walks the line between drama and comedy that's the sweet spot that I'm always looking for. I think Fleischman was a perfect example of that.
2: If I may, I think the next best actress nominated role you should step into is Jill Claver and Unmarried Woman. I feel like that hits all the the hemispheres of maturity and adult conversations and heartbreak and also big city kind of Fleischman level vistas. Great,
4: I haven't seen that in so long. I need to rewatch that and yeah, set it up. Pitch it, pitch it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Joe clayberg we're praying
1: to you <laughs> shine down on us yes.
4: i'd do it but...
1: um although i mean even speaking of that movie and you know you were talking about you had watched um fatal attraction you know sort of like by happenstance a couple of years before you'd even got it like what kind of movies do you just sort oh, of like yes. sit down to watch you know
4: i've had to fly a bunch and you know sometimes you end up on a plane uh that has like this incredible library of films um so yeah. in the past couple of weeks i rewatched most of eternal sunshine which you brought up what a movie mm-hmm. holy shit like obviously but it had been a minute uh since i watched it uh i'll always watch gross point blank always Oof, yes um i just rewatched one of my all-time like top five faves Uh, also on a plane and I was like fully sobbing openly. Uh, Terms of endearment is one of my, I mean, like.
2: Oh, please, please. (laughs) Deborah Winner's birthday is today, please. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes, you've said the magic words. What I wouldn't
4: give just to like be in the same room as that woman. I love that movie. I love her so much. Um, And then like, for whatever reason, it's like a double feature in my head, Terms of Endearment and Postcards from the Edge. Like, why are we making those movies anymore? Mm. Mm. No
2: joke. Also, Shirley is so fabulous in both of them. Shirley has an amazing scene on the phone in terms of endearment, and I have to say, I know that like we still find ways to insert these kinds of scenes into TV shows, even though they're less realistic nowadays. But man, do I love amazing phone acting! Real skill, please. You know, real (laughs) skill. Yes. Yeah. Um, When my
4: husband and I were when we first started dating, I was talking to him about those two movies, and we had gone to see some art exhibit where a woman just did pencil drawings of the backs of women's heads, like their hair. They're really gorgeous. And he got, he's like, I'm going to, he wanted to commission this art piece He took screen grabs from those two films. And the artist was like, no, they, they don't really work. I can't really see. So he got a hair person and like two actresses to come and he, this woman did their hair like Shirley MacLaine in both movies. And then Meryl Streep and Deborah Winger and then he took photos, and I have these like this triptych of Shirley MacLaine in both, and then Deborah Winger and Meryl Streep. It's like my prize thing.
2: What a gift! I uh, I can't I, I can't I, think of a better thing. Yeah. You really? I'm like holding. That's so awesome. That's so specific.
4: Yeah, he gives good gifts. Yeah, very
2: yeah, good.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here.
4: Thank you guys.
1: Yeah, I feel like I need to go. Well, now I need to I go mean, watch some Winterfell. Yeah, oh, yes, the Shadowlands, so good. Yes. Yeah, I'm also, a big fan of Shadowlands.
2: Also, um, we we rarely have repeat guests on here, and unfortunately, Lizzie Kaplan, you will be coming back yeah, a
4: third when time. We do so that, just be aware, uh, Jill Claybone. yeah,
1: Unmade Woman.
4: Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> thank you, guys.
1: Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Don't call it a comeback. Kylie Minogue announced a new album. Rita Ora performed at Eurovision. Beyonce's back on tour. The pop divas are returning this spring. In honor of them, let's get into the state of pop and what we're listening to now. Starting with Miss Kylie, finally, is coming back. I say finally, even though disco dropped during the pandemic. But it just really feels like that album is lost in time whenever yes. I listen to it it feels very weird oh it slams me right back
2: to oh you're hanging out in a silent house with your <laughs> with your friends the only four people you're allowed to see <laughs> yeah uh, she had some good performances during that time she did a I guess on Zoom or whatever via satellite performance on Kimmel during that time of Say Something a song I still really love uh, so check that out. But, by the way, I just want to say about that period of time. It's crazy how much TV material we made during the pandemic that no one will ever watch again. Like people mm. interviewing people over Zoom, like on Kelly and Ryan. Anyway, the snippet of the song I've heard. or And I've I've heard a, a leaked version of this song, too, that got everywhere. And it was lo-fi. Didn't that feel so kazah to you? Yes. Hearing a leaked <laughs> lo-fi <laughs> snippet of a new song. It's called Padam
1: Padam. And it is and it a is banger. It is not a cover of the Eat of Piaf song. no. <laughs> which side note when i was in fire island um one of my friends had uh another friend who was visiting from amsterdam uh-huh. and uh he was like you know he didn't know like the specifics of like american culture enough to where like if he got reese witherspoon while playing celebrity right like what does he say uh-huh you know okay but he put in celebrities oh okay and me and one of my other friends were the only people who got this. He put in Edith Piaf. Oh hell and yeah, I, Le I, Rose. Come on, I know. But and so the we little got, sparrow, Lamont. I, I got it when someone said Le Rose, but I was like, "Bitch, who who else were you expecting here to get Edith Piaf right. in this group of games?" Uh,
2: the, the first time I ever played Celebrity, um, which if you don't know, is a game where you put a bunch of names in a bowl and then you you describe those names to your friends as fast as you can they guess them right and then there's another round where you put all those names back and you can only use one word to describe Mm -hmm. them and you're remembering what names have already been said and then there's a final round where you just act them out and it's very funny because how do you act out Edith Piaf for example but the first time I played that the uh, I believe it was my friend Brad Butler he said to the room and no NPR celebrities it's just (laughs) It really, like, is telling uh, what kinds of names go into the hat, like, that your friends put in. It's, like, telling about who your friend group is. But anyway, um, uh, we talk about Kylie Minogue a lot on this show. And I just think there remains something so consistent about really the chicness she brings. Mm -hmm. There's something about, like, uh, there's a sense of dignity that she brings to uh, pop music. There's an effervescence to her voice. And I also think based on... The live recordings I've heard, she did like a live version of her country album I, uh, of that of that
1: tour. She sounds Never great live. She's <laughs> she sounds so great live. You know, yeah. but, um, I'm really excited to see her live with this tour because I haven't. You know, I met her once at the New Now Next Awards in
2: 2012, which sounds like um, community <laughs> service, but I did. Do- <laughs>
1: She was awesome, and of was course, like one at, foot seven. Uh, was she being held at gunpoint? <laughs> <laughs> Is not now still around? I think there's a version of it because what a name for a website! I know, right? New
2: now next. It's so it's so like the name of a news organization <laughs> on the other two.
1: <laughs> um, panam panam sounds it sounds good. It's classic, Kylie. Um, I love that her new album title is Tension. I
2: love the album title, the camp (laughs) intensity of Tension. It also sounds like, like uh, a high pressure game show from the eighties, like Welcome to Tension, Lightning Strikes. And now here's your host, Jim Perry.
1: Love it. Yeah, and she's holding like a diamond on the cover. Like she looks great. This woman is fifty four and turning fifty five soon. Um, she looks fucking great. Cancer survivor. Yes. Uh, no, she. She's one of these people who is truly
2: Madonna, Janet level in terms of versatile types of pop she's brought over the years, you know, like Madonna with uh, Bedtime Stories. She even has a RB and b album that you and I both love, Body Language. She has had the, like her n- moody 90s era uh, before she got into her resurgence with Can't Get You Out of My Head on the Fever album, Love at First Sight. I I I, I can't turn on that song without crying at all of the dance dance revolution I once did.
1: Yeah, and thank God for the internet, you know? Because one, it's how I discovered Kylie as a kid. Uh, And two, I feel like now you can talk to other adults who listen to Kylie Minogue, whereas it was just me listening to body language and fever in my Discman in high school, knowing that nobody else at school was listening to that.
2: Oh, no. When I think of college, I think of walking around with body language on a Discman, because that came out in 2004, or maybe even a little bit before then. But uh, that's when I started college. Also... She's the definitive example of I would walk into a Borders when I was in high school mm. and you couldn't find her old music like on CD anywhere. Because yeah. like, you know, like I I can't really picture walking into a Best Buy and you would get like, like an old Kylie album like Enjoy Yourself or something. But at Borders, they always had import albums. Mm-hmm. So I bought her two disc 80s to early 90s uh, greatest hit stuff. And it's just the best of bubblegum pop, you know.
1: It's like, I Should Be So Lucky is a
2: hit. Oh, yeah. And they wrote it in 10 minutes. They were like, oh, she's coming in. We should really have a song for her. Mm. And they cynically threw it together, named it I Should Be So Lucky. Like, you're really going to get a song in 10 minutes from us? Mm-hmm. And uh, that became her first smash. Mm, the Bootylicious of the 80s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Beyonce really listened to Edge of 17 and decided to write Bootylicious? Sound off in the comments.
1: Well, Lewis, I... <laughs> I I really do love Stevie Nicks and <laughs> my horrible I'm gonna dancer. say that sounded a little bit
2: like <laughs> M- Michael Jackson hiding out as the big bad wolf.
1: I really do like Stevie <laughs> Nicks. <laughs> Edge of 17.
2: Too old. <laughs> now, what do you uh what do you think of
1: the BB Rexa situation right now? Can I say that? It's been a while since this has happened, you know, where I really felt like a music influencer. But the amount of friends who sent me a text and said they are listening and loving this B.B. Rexa album because I wouldn't stop talking about it. And it's good. Correct me if I'm wrong. She's also written a lot of stuff for other
2: people that maybe
1: goes under the radar. What else has she written? So, yeah, B.B. Rexa started out writing. She wrote on... Monster, the Eminem Rihanna song. Jesus. Uh a Selena Gomez song, Like a Champion, Tanache, all hands on deck. Um, like Iggy, team, Nick Jonas. Um, you know, so like she has written for people before. And um, I don't know. She was in this weird sort of space where I feel like, you know, to shout out um our friends at Who Weekly, you know, BB Rex was a Who. Right. You know? Like, when she would first come out, it would be like, you would hear songs of hers, like that Florida Georgia Line song, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you'd hear it in Target. Yes. Did you know who this bitch was? No. Did you even know what she looked like? No. And now, I really feel like she, like, pushed herself a bit more uh, into an arena that works for her. And it's sort of, I mean, it's very sort of like... um. What I would have liked from Golden, to be honest, oh, okay. uh, Kylie's Golden, or you know, Miley's recent album, you know, it's sort of like disco country,
2: yeah, which is a, a good lane. I yeah. I uh, always enjoy it. No, BB Rixley is somebody who, thanks to that Florida Georgia Line song, once actually charted. What's that song? If it'll, if it's meant to meant to be, is that the name of the song? Mm-hmm. Because of that song, she was actively on the Billboard Hot 100, but she really feels like spiritually one of these quote unquote bubbling under Billboard artists. And can I just say? Bubbling Under, which is a real billboard chart, yep. has to be the shadiest designation of all time. <laughs> the Billboard Hot She's Drowning chart. <laughs>
3: she's
1: playing that survivor challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, you're, where you're holding your nose and trying to survive in the water. Um one of the darkest BB Rexa stories that I remember hearing too is that um he had that song Make Me with Britney Spears, right? And so they performed that at the VMA's. Um, but then, because he also has a hit at that time with Me, Myself, and I, she does a bit of Me, Myself, and mm. I on the stage. And BB Rexa, the writer of that song, and that's like her big like single, like one of her big introductions to the world, sitting there in the audience, watching Brittany <laughs> sing her damn song! That is tough. Lip sync to her damn song. Yeah. It's like, I couldn't go up there.
2: Yeah, right. And also, yeah. it's not like we would be... I'm sorry, overwhelmed with vocals, if both you and Brittany were up there. You know what I'm saying? There was room.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I just, um, I don't know. I feel, it's weird to feel, like, proud of somebody you don't know. Yeah. But she seems like she's, like, worked really hard to get where she's at. And the album, I think, is really good. I was putting it on this weekend for friends, and they were like, who the hell is this?
2: I feel the same way about the Jessie Ware album. She has is sort of hyperbolically rising in 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 queer spirits. I feel okay, like
1: now let's get to it, bitch. Uh, because <laughs> now back to the bitch that had a lot to say about what's your pleasure. <laughs> Lewis what's good. Okay, I
2: will still say. <laughs> here we go. I think I like this album a little bit better. I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit more amped up. I think she's very. Um, sophistication-oriented and Mm. almost like adult contemporary, really. So it's going to have a a pacifying vibe. Mm -hmm. That said, you can't be too pacified when you're, you know, wanting to roll tits and dance. (laughs) So it still, to me, feels like it belongs in the lounge at the club or the lounge of the hotel and not really on the dance floor. But I do like certain songs on it. I like the uh, humor of it so much. And by the way, because she's so funny. Yeah. When you listen to her on her podcast, it's like, oh, she's this like knock around
1: She, I still would say that I think that her music is even loungy. I think it's so horny. It is horny. But in the way that a lounge should be. Yeah. Uh, so like, even when you say adult contemporary, I'm like... The good adult contemporary yes, though, right. you, know? not like now that I'm not um, talking about like Kathy Lee Gifford's attempt no. at an album or whatever, you know, yes, or the fact that like later later era Backstreet Boys albums are now all of the adult contemporary charts, right, you know, mm. I'm talking about like the adult contemporary that we grew up, with yes. that our parents were listening to it was just people being horny with with uh, horns and piano. And, you know, it's very, you know, caught up in the rapture right. vibes.
2: Uh, I would maybe compare it to the album Erotica or something, yeah. which is supposed to have a kind of cabaret,
1: um, yeah, loose adult vibe. I love it. I mean, I'm really, I feel like Jesse Ware is another person who, you know, um, started out in one lane and then really sort of like found her way to a groove that works for her. I feel like What's Your Pleasure was... Louder, uh, you know, like just trying a lot of different things, and I feel like, um, that feels good. Really, sort of feels like, um, she's comfortable in this arena now, you yes. know, mm-hmm. like it's it, it feels like a more, yeah, less
2: like an experiment and more like this is strumming along, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Um, I just I really enjoy, I just like love listening to a Jessie Ware album from start to finish, like it's fun, and she's so great in concert.
2: Oh, yes, no, I, I saw her live and she had. I think just, like, four dancers with her. Actually, the setup was not much different than what I saw of Janet's new tour. Yeah. You know, just, like, a a couple of dancers, and it's not, like, the most athletic movement I've ever seen, but it was, like, captivating. You did not look away from what she was doing, and she was
1: working hard, and those dancers were fucking amazing. Yeah. And, I mean, she's coming out there dressed like she works in HR, too, you know? (laughs) Like, she has a long dress on, you know? And, like, but uh, she's moving, and I don't know, maybe maybe it's just the drugs I was on too. But I mean, when one of our dancers just like holding a disco ball and dancing with it, I was like, and there's just like this black like curtain behind them. I was like, this it feels you said it earlier, it feels chic.
2: I will also say this is the only person, maybe, whom I subscribe to the idea of mood or vibes with. Mm. You know, it's just like as in when you it's not just uh 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 it it doesn't just feel like an Instagram filter. It feels like lived in uh sensuality. It's mm. it's it's a sensual vibe. Yeah, we're
1: missing sensuality as we discovered in our uh, interview with Lizzie Kaplan. I mean, look at her husband, please. I mean, look at Jesse Wynn's husband. How could you not be sensual? Okay, freak me now. She's writing about him. <laughs> <laughs> Go look that man up. Okay, <laughs> that is a hot white man. I don't know if I've seen him. I will. Um. As for obviously, you know, Beyonce is on tour and I am still, I am still in hiding. Meaning I am avoiding everything that has to do with the Renaissance tour. Which is very hard to do. Because everybody
2: is filming that and everybody's posting it. Everybody's
1: filming it. Everyone's posting about it, whether or not they were even there yet. And I'm just like, whatever happened to mystery? (laughs) And also, it's just like, really, the whole thing
2: will be spoiled for you. It's yeah. it's like a Broadway show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it happens in a specific order. They're not substituting things out. Taylor Swift does that a little bit, but that's even just a song, you know?
1: Yeah. Now, she has been dropping some songs from the set list. I don't know the set list, but my friend said I would be pissed if these songs were dropped just because of the stadiums letting fans in late or something. So let's get it together. Okay. Let's get it together. I d- I need to get the whole... Set list when I'm in Amsterdam. In I hope a month. She, my
2: my <sighs> my prayer is that she still does a bit of soldier, which beca- which I love more and more as the years go on. I think it's the best Destiny's Child song. It's a really fucking good song. The sexiness of it.
1: Kelly yeah. is so sexy in the song. Michelle is so sexy in that song. I will say I have seen a couple clips, not a performance, of um some chicanery. Oh, meaning first of all, the gays attending in Brussels. There's this video going around of someone smoking meth out of a pipe in the audience. Excuse me. Just dancing, like in the crowd, videoing themselves, and then you see the meth pipe. What are we doing? You're smoking Tina in front, in front of and Miss Tina? T- <laughs> Miss Tina was at that show. You're smoking Tina in front of Miss Tina. I hope Julia shot them. I need to put my <laughs> organs back in order. I can't believe that.
2: Yeah, Beyonce's the drug. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you don't know, if if you're if you're on t- I I you know what? I don't have an opinion about that level of drug. It's very crazy. So yeah. I'm 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 sorry to all those who are around that, I guess. Yeah. Hope everybody had a nice time. God help you. <laughs> church works for people. Go to church.
1: Um anyone else you're listening to?
2: Well, you know who we had on this show a few months ago and I still think this song sticks with me and I'm surprised to keep returning to it and also somebody keeps playing it at Barry's, so I hear it all the time. <laughs> Can't Tame Her by Zara Larson is a mm. fucking great song.
1: Yeah. There's a new do, one coming out. Yeah, do not sleep on that song. Listen to Can't Tame Her. Also Ryan Beatty. Um who's like this queer um songwriter um singer. He he had collaborated once before with um Tyler, the creator, but it's the vibe is very like male um Afokane. Okay. Uh, Ethel Kane, nominee at the Glad Awards. She yes. did not walk away with it. That would be Miss Dove Cameron. Mm, was she there? No. They mm. flashed through those categories. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna see Miss Ethel Kane this weekend, actually. She's opening for Caroline Pulitzer. Uh boy genius. They performed on Kimmel and
2: I snuck into the audience to watch rehearsal. You're not always supposed to do that, but you know, I'm naughty. God, I
1: love their energy. They're so fun. Yeah, they're really fun. Which is, which is which is interesting because I Listen, I'm, I'm a fan of all three of them individually, but I have, you know, two friends who stan Phoebe Bridgers. So right. I've seen a bit too much of Phoebe Bridgers in concert. And by the third time, I was like, okay, y'all, I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is very tranquil. Yeah, right, right. You have to really be zoned into the, yeah, the kind of, Sleepy conscience of Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, but let me tell you something. Boy Genius is, you know, that's barn stomping music. <laughs> <laughs> when you're a carnival barker from Oklahoma, <laughs> which is actually often, I forget. Uh, all right, we will be right back with Keep it. And we're back. With our favorite segment of the episode, it's Keep It. All right, Lewis. Shall I? Yeah. In person. My first in-person Keep It in years. Legendary. (laughs) I also
2: realize I haven't been looking to the camera the entire time, so I'll say some of it this way. Anyway, um, my Keep It is related to Jeopardy, which, as I already said earlier, is having a Jeopardy Masters competition, six... Uh, former major champions are coming back to play again and again against each other. It's a point system, and then eventually one will be declared the winner at the end. I actually interviewed two of them at a little USC um, panel, uh, Amy Schneider and Mateo Roach. They are so awesome and also great on social media. Go ahead and follow them. They've added one wrinkle to Jeopardy! games on the Jeopardy! Masters tournament that I find disturbing. Before the round begins, Ken Jennings says... Now we're going to tell the viewers at home where the Daily Doubles are. Look away if you don't want to see. Girl, there is no suspense to knowing where the Daily Doubles are. People just pick clues at random. <laughs> They're acting like they flipped the script with us. Throwing Daily Doubles. It's always a weird part of the show. And I'm like, I guess I'll close my eyes so I don't know where the Daily Doubles are. It's one of those things where I'm all for like changing up formats, etc. By all means, tinker with Jeopardy, which I think is doing really well in the primetime ratings. But this ain't it. There's just nothing going on with the Daily Double that's that fascinating. And by the way, they always almost re- uncover it in two seconds because these people start at the bottom of the column where the Daily Doubles are and then find them and then they're over. So, just so like it's, it, Off would be like, the drama isn't there. Mm. I don't think the drama was here in that keep it either. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if you're looking,
2: sometimes we, during this segment, we specifically want to go viral. We want people to pick it up on social media. This is not one of them. <laughs> Let me. This is me giving you a peek behind the curtain, oh, Ira. It's, it's just nice tr-
1: to see your hand movements again. Oh yeah.
2: Do you know whose hand movements I'm obsessed with? And I brought this up recently. Uh, uh, Roger Eberts when he's talking to Gene Siskel. Gene Siskel will say something he agrees with, and then immediately Roger Ebert is like this. In the movie, there's something going on. It's like, are you a tree? Are you a tree? That's my hands in midair for people who can't see me, Ira. What is your keep it save
1: us? My keep it goes to. My father. Oh. (laughs) um, Tom Cruise. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the fuck he's been doing lately. Um, But first of all, there's this story coming out of Tom Cruise as Shakira hanging out in Miami at like a Formula One race. I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. Dark vibes, if you will. I I don't like it. I think maybe he likes racing because he did Days of Thunder. Right. Good movie. I disagree with that. Go ahead. Actually, it is a bad movie. Good, mo- good movie for him looking hot. Good movie for Nicole Kidman's legs.
2: Yes, good movie for Nicole Kidman being like 22 and a doctor. I would love to understand <laughs> how that came together.
1: Uh, listen, some of her best roles are when she's a doctor. Okay? Oh, yeah. Dr. Chase Meridian. Look it up. And then, I don't know what else she played a doctor. Uh, the Interpreter, I believe. Oh, is that a doctor? I believe so. Doctor of Sign. Right, of of interpretation Yeah, Dr. Hieroglyph Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway uh, There was a rumor that Tom Cruise Was romancing Shakira In Miami And a lot of the responses to it were Get a job, get away from her And let me tell you something Shakira and Tom Cruise I think that would be a sexy couple Yes, it would also be the world's Shortest couple It is giving Danny DeVito (laughs) and Rhea Perlman Motherfucker (laughs) Everyone was like, listen, get away from him, the Scientology, whatever. Yes, I get that, but she has some taxes to pay.
2: Right, and I I do have to say, if he has one thing, it's money, and he can help her out the next time they come courting. And I've got news for you, it's probably going to be soon.
1: Right. Um, Also, Tom Cruise was just recently hanging out um, with Janet Jackson. He went to the tour Okay. Which Which, is hilarious to me. Do we know why they would have known each other ahead of time or if they did? I think they've known. Well, so the weird story, too, is like that people tried to say that, oh, Tom was like enamored with Shakira and wanted to date her. And, you know, Shakira's team was like, they've known each other for years. Hmm. They're just celebrities. And, you know, at a certain
2: level, it's like you end up on David Geffen's boat
1: together or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like Tom Cruise would have definitely was probably friends with Michael. Oh, that makes sense. And also, then became friends with Janet through that. You know, I mean, if I feel like if you, I feel like it's very weird if you are a mega star from the like '80s and early '90s, um, and you haven't met one another because that's the era where like you're still too famous to like you can't go to the grocery store, right? Right.
2: You know. Um, I just want to say in this picture, Tom Cruise has. Um, luxurious and long hair. And you forget sometimes that with the jeans he chooses to wear, Tom Cruise is often dangerously close to looking like he's the lead singer of Fuel or Lifehouse. <laughs> he's always dressed like Amanda Bynes and she's the man. Right. He, he dresses like <laughs> the, the manager at the buckle who never left. Li- Still managing this
1: buckle. Uh, um, <laughs> Tom is also... Actually, now that I think about it, you know who probably introduced Tom Cruise and Janet Jackson, Oprah. Yes,
2: now that's a very firm connection. I'm not saying he and Oprah have much in common anymore, but once upon a time they were besties. Yeah,
1: right. I wonder if they still talk.
2: Yeah, what I mean, like, well, he just seems so much more docile than he was in those days. Like, he's jumping off of airplanes and things like that, but not not in a delirious way. It just feels, he, he feels very movie oriented. Like, yes. let's make the movies. I'm the king
1: of the movies. Very movie oriented, but also very like, I don't know, like niceties oriented, manners yeah. oriented. I, very. Every much time like,
2: people meet him, they're like, he's unbelievably polite and uh, yes. generous and all these things. Or
1: people who've worked with him or something, it's always like, they get like a birthday cake or like something delivered from him every year. So, and I feel like that's like, that's very like, Jackson celebrity that's Mm. very like Beyonce does that Mm -hmm. like one thing Beyonce's gonna gonna do one (laughs) thing Beyonce's gonna do is send somebody a flower arrangement yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, always like congratulations queen um, to someone so I don't know maybe my keep it is really to Tom Cruise hanging out with everybody but his own son
2: (laughs) I do worry about the uh, uh, strings in that family and who's being attended to and who isn't
1: yeah I don't know. I love you, Tom. Right. Okay. One of the weirder things about me.
2: Yeah, right. But, you know. Do you know when he always comes up? My friend uh, Justin McBain, Um. and I actually my, my friend Andrew Wisniewski is also obsessed with this. We'll just send each other two celebrities and ask who's older. And you have to guess <laughs> it. And then you sit there and reason through it. Tom Cruise is his baseline celebrity. He always compares other celebrities to him because we he knows... Tom Cruise was born in 1962, mm-hmm. so if you're comparing him to like Vanna White, you're like, oh, well, Vanna White started in the early 80s on Wheel of Fortune, so she's probably born in like 57. I'm kidding. I'm positive. I know she was born in 57. <laughs> but this is a game I play with my friends. No, Come- you
1: knew it was Deborah Wega's birthday today, yeah. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, just, that's just one thing you know. Uh, I'm really,
2: uh, really, really good at knowing celebrities' ages. That's really. I've really primed my skills in the in the past yeah. couple of
1: years. Well, I know because Tom Cruise turned 60 last year. Right. And See, Tom Cruise is a Cancer. And despite, I remember because despite being in the film "Born on the Fourth of July," right, he was actually born July third. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, a day before. That's so strange and deceiving in a way that I would expect <laughs> of Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom, let's change your birthday to match this for the interviews. Right. But we can't make it the fourth. That's too obvious. Right. We'll make it the third. Okay. So then he could joke <laughs> and be like, ha, "I just missed it." Right. <laughs> I love the Marcel Marceau, like, <laughs> gestures you accompanied that with. Also, Tom Cruise would be a great interview. I know we couldn't ask a single thing about Scientology. Right. But I think we'd get a lot of interesting things out That's of him. That's true. If Literally, I think sometimes those guidelines that, you know, certain
2: superstar uh, handlers have about interviews, I think sometimes they're helpful. Because, like, I mean, I not that I'm disinterested in that stuff, but... I am more interested in just talking about the movies. Like, let's yeah. talk about The Color of Money or whatever. This isn't Dateline. Right. Okay? No. So I want
1: to ask him about Jerry Maguire.
2: Right. This isn't To Catch a Valkyrie.
1: You know what I'm saying? We just want to ask about Valkyrie. And actually, speaking of like my very few um, Tom Cruise blind spots, Valkyrie is one of them. Mm. I didn't watch it because, you know, I hate Brian Singer.
2: Well, also the 2000s. I yes. mean, just like you, you skipped over certain things. Yes. yes.
1: Not, not even like personally Brian Singer for being demonic. Just because I think he's like a shitty director. Not, never was my vibe. <laughs> uh, like that fucking Beanstalk movie too? I'm oh, like, why am I going to watch not, this? No, not climbing, nothing. Uh, the Color of Money was one of my blind spots. And I still need to watch it. Oh, it's, uh, a, it's, a, uh, it's
2: good. Mary Elizabeth Antonio. I think in that movie, you think she's poised to be the next Julia Roberts. And then, of course, Julia Roberts happened.
1: Yeah, um, Only because, and I had never seen it because I had never seen The Hustler.
2: mm which uh, Piper Laurie is still with us. Best actress number. Yeah.
1: And I love The Hustler now. I watched it on the Delta Flight. Um, great film. Oh, yeah. Very, very interesting for a movie of that era. Yeah. Just very, just very like muted. Very, it almost feels like it's stage play. Yeah. It, 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 yes, yes, yes. Jackie Gleason, fabulous. Also. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to watch The Hustler before I watched The Color of Money. All right. So, well, get on it. Yeah. Um, I'll watch it when you come on, Tom. All right. Lizzie Kaplan, thank you so much for being here. And we will see you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Narmalconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is filmed in front of a live studio audience.